Kitisa in the year 5784. Um, I would like to thank everyone for being here and for those who are listening online to this. Thank you for doing that. And may you be blessed wherever and whenever you are listening to this. Many opportunities and different subjects to talk about in Parashat Kitisa, of course. This morning, I'd like to talk a little bit about the golden calf. Very puzzling, isn't it? I mean, how is this possible that people just having experienced God's revelation at Sinai in the matter of a few weeks revert back to worshiping a golden calf? And one of the most troubling parts of this is, how could Aaron have done what he had done? It was Aaron who was going to be the high priest, and yet he was so involved with the whole process of the golden calf. When you read the story of the golden calf, the result was thousands of people died because they worshiped the golden calf, right? Strangely, Aaron avoided that death and was subsequently installed as high priest, even though he was the one who made the calf. How is that fair, and why is that? It's a puzzling sort of problem here. In case you've never heard the story of the golden calf, it comes from Exodus chapter 32, of course. Moses goes up the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments, and the people get a little punchy down there at the base of the mountain while they're waiting for him. Exodus chapter 32 reads in part like this. It begins with, um, we'll start in the first verse. Now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said to him, Get up, make us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man that brought us up out from the land of Egypt, we do not know what's become of him. So Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off the golden rings that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. He received them from their hand and made a, gold, a molten calf fashioned with a chiseling tool. They said, this is your God, Israel, which brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Really, uh, there's no way to downplay this or put any kind of spin on it. This is... Uh, Textbook idolatry, and the children of Israel are in serious trouble. Adonai lets Moses know what's going on. He can't really believe it, and he goes down to see for himself, and he is so angry that he smashes the set of tablets, the first set that he had with him. Um, that's recorded in verse 19, a little farther down. Moses is coming down the mountain to see what's going on here. Then it happened as soon as Moses came near the camp, he saw the calf and the dancing, and his anger burned hot. So he threw the tablets out of his hands and smashed them at the foot of the mountain. Then he took the calf they'd made, burned it in fire, ground it to a powder, scattered it on the surface of the water, and made B'nai Yisrael, the children of Israel, drink it. Then Moses said to Aaron, this is a rhetorical question, what did this people do to you to make you bring such a great sin upon them. Aaron's going to respond here. He says, don't be angry. Okay, sure. 
Don't be angry, my Lord. You know these people yourself and how they are set on evil. They said to me, make gods for us to go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what happened to him. So I said to them, whoever has any gold, let them break it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. And so he's not exactly full disclosure there from Aaron, not total repentance at this point. But he did speak truthfully when he said that these people are set on evil. Still, he was the one that chiseled this thing. And so later on, when thousands of people die, how is it that Aaron seemingly uh, avoids uh, the consequences of this? Now, many commentators, when you read, you read the Kumash, Rashi, everyone else, they're very charitable when it comes to this section. They suggest that the people just simply wanted to reestablish a connection with the Lord and that the calf was the way to do that and that their intentions were from a good place. They had good intentions. And when trying to figure this out, what is going on here with Aaron, motivation is an important thing. Did they have good intentions? And it's important because motivations, intentions, they all matter. Now I know the, audit, the, the, the old adage, right? The road to hell is paved with good intentions. I mean, I get the whole sort of pessimistic side of that. It's a very glass, half-empty worldview. But I suggest this, that when one sins, we're not talking just the idolater or just wicked people in general, but when righteous people sin, intentions may mitigate the consequences or even outweigh them. Consider the story of Judah and Tamar. We all remember this, right? The Torah tells us that Judah's firstborn son married Tamar, but he died really young. And so, according to Levite marriage, the next oldest son marries Tamar, but then he also died. And so, the third son comes up, Shiloh, to marry Tamar, but Judah wouldn't let it happen, leaving her in a weird sort of limbo state of she, she's not redeemed out of that, but she can't marry. You know, she's stuck because Judah won't give her the third son to marry. And so she takes matters into her own hands. She dresses up like a prostitute and tricks Judah into sleeping with her, becomes pregnant with twins, thus... Uh, achieving her goal of having a family. Now, her intentions were right. She wanted a family. Her intentions were pure. But she was a bit deceitful, and there was some sin there, but her intentions were good, and we empathize with her. We understand why she did what she did, but the consequences of that was one of her children was, is in the line of uh, the Messianic genealogy. And so Tamar's intentions, even though she was a bit deceitful, the intentions seemed to really mitigate or even outweigh the deceitfulness that she displayed when she was um, seducing Judah. So when it comes to Aaron and the calf that he made, does this same principle apply? Can we dig down and find some sort of good intention that would explain why Aaron seemed to get away with this whole sin thing, 
yet thousands of Israelites didn't. When it comes to Aaron and the golden calf, Rav Lorberg of blessed memory has this opinion. He says, Aaron, on the other hand, as I may speculate, sought perhaps to diminish the harshness of the evil act that he felt was coming with a golden calf and tried to soften its eventual consequences. Aaron was willing to provide Israel with an excuse. Essentially, he's falling on the sword for the people. That way the people can say, look, Aaron was with us and he participated and even made the golden calf. And so it's not our fault. He was our leader and he was leading us. And so Aaron, in a way, in a very self-sacrificial way, theoretically, gave all the rest of the people an out. In his head, in his mind, this may have been what he was thinking. And so his intentions may have been what ultimately spared his life. Didn't make it right, but it might explain why the thousands of Israelites died because their intentions were for idolatry, but he was somehow spared, perhaps because his intentions were not idolatry, but his intentions were to spare the lives of his fellow brothers and sisters. This is a concept called avria lishma. It's a concept in Judaism that a sin committed knowingly but for a higher purpose, so to speak, is for the sake of heaven. Much like the story of Judah and Tamar, where Tamar's intentions were very noble. What she did wasn't right, but ultimately it was for the sake of heaven. It was for the, the Davidic line, ultimately, and the line of Yeshua. But there still has to be moral, we're talking about moral people here, righteous people who have the moral, oh, the moral fortitude, I suppose, to repent. Repentance, of course, is key. So wrapping this up, what I am not suggesting is that we disregard wickedness or turn a blind eye to evil and iniquity. It's not that. But when people generally try and live godly lives, when they stumble, or perhaps they cause an offense to us somehow, we need to try to remember that intentions may have been rooted in a good place. It's very hard to do. Things can be pretty tricky. Um, but we need to remember that Yeshua commands us to measure these intentions. There's a Matthew chapter 7. Many of us know this by heart. This is when Yeshua says, judge not uh, that you may not be judged. For the judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, we all have to make judgments. It's not you can't judge anything. We all judge, am I going to park down this dark alley in the middle of the night? No, probably not. Uh, we make judgments about this movie. It doesn't look like the type of movie I should be watching. We make judgments all the time about all kinds of different things. So when you delve down a little farther into that, the measure by which you judge, uh, there's a factor in there where you have to factor in when you're dealing with people, their intentions. It's not just what they do. It's pretty easy to determine whether their actions are following Torah or not. But you have to use measure and aim at finding out what their intentions are. Because judging can be tricky. If you're uh, somebody of a 
particular political party you don't like, you make rash judgments very quickly about them. If their path of discipleship is a little different than ours, sometimes it's easy to make um, uncharitable judgments about them. But the intentions of people, they do matter. Judgment at times is necessary, and we all do it. But our ability to assume that people have the best intentions is one of Yeshua's commandments to us, and one that myself could exercise a little more as well. We remember our God is a God of love, and in the words of Peter, love covers a multitude of sins. So, may we stay in his word, the Torah, right? This will keep us, it will help our intentions to be aligned with his. When we stay in the word, it helps us align. We also pray that the spirit be active within us to help us align not only our intentions, but our actions as well to represent him. And may the spirit foster mercy and love in our hearts so that we can live out the, direction, the directives of our Messiah, Yeshua. Shabbat Shalom.